of you. We're reading from Matthew chapter 9 this morning, and we'll be doing verses 35 to 38. So Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 to 38. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and illness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Well, good morning again, everybody. It is an absolute pleasure to be here, to be in a place that um, has such um, meaning to both Paul and I. Um, it's, it's a real pleasure to be here. So thank you so much for having us. From the day I became a follower of Jesus, I was mixed up in the company of missionaries. Uh, it would have been difficult to resist the pull of mission and to ignore the mandate of Jesus to go into all the world to share the good news whilst being in such a company of people who gave the best of their days and their talents to telling people about Jesus. And that context for those early years that shaped and formed my understanding of what it means to follow Jesus was uh, started in this place and also with um, Agape staff. Uh, so I was sitting sort of three quarters of the way back um, on the right-hand side, right by the pillar. Roger Simpson was preaching uh, about the prodigal son, and it was the first time I'd ever heard the gospel. Uh, and I gave my life to Jesus. And uh, Brian Lee, who was the minister there at the time, I, I was introduced by my friend who'd brought me to church, to Brian Lee, who instantly said, you need to meet somebody, and introduced me to uh, Joe Bowden, who was an Agape staff member uh, who came to this church. And uh, she said, we should meet this week. And uh, we met every week. And she helped me to understand all that it meant in the decision that I'd given my life to Jesus. So I first heard the gospel sitting over there, and it really has shaped my understanding of what it means to be a follower of Jesus and what, how mission is an integral part of that. Jesus' great commission to the church, which we read about in Matthew 28, is to go and make disciples. And this is a great driver for many a Mission Sunday or a Mission Awareness Weekend around the country. The words of Jesus for us are set throughout history, missionaries, and the church on course to be faithful to his mandate to go into all the world and make disciples. However, some churches have never really grasped the core of their mandate to go and make disciples. Mission and the church words are synonymous with each other. Uh, Sometimes mission has been reduced to one of the items of the mosaic of activities that a church does. But mission is an integral part of what it means to be church. And so it's an absolute privilege to stand here in a church that's taken that mandate seriously through the generations. Your mission, as stated on the back of the church, is making disciples of Christ in Brighton and Hove and for the world. And, uh, and this church has sent out missionaries uh, throughout its history 
but also has grasped hold of its mandate to share the good news of Jesus here in Hove and Brighton. And James Hannington, who we just mentioned, uh, on which this uh, church is, is named, uh, was a great example to us of the cost of discipleship, the cost of mission and going into the world. But it's an absolute privilege. What I'd like to ask today, as Paul and I speak with you, what does it mean for you personally? What does it mean for you personally to be on mission? To follow Jesus' mandate to go into all the world and to make disciples. Uh, We're going to look into the passage that we read, Katie read, uh, a little bit. Thank you, Leslie. In... um, uh, Chapter 9, Matthew is telling the story of how Jesus went about mission himself. But these verses also show some of the hallmarks of mission for us today. The things that show um, its authenticity, authentically Christ-like mission. I think there are uh, at least three things that come out of this passage. But I'd like to look at three of those uh, hallmarks right now. It's proactive. It's transforming news, and it brings wholeness. So the first hallmark, it's proactive. Passage tells us Jesus went. He was a traveler. He went to the towns and villages. He didn't stay in his hometown. He didn't set himself up somewhere so people could come along and visit and hear about the new good news. He went out. If God's kingdom is to grow, it requires people to go, uh, to go to the places that maybe that they were already on their way to. But more often, it requires us to go out of our way. Behind all mission is this thrust into the new and perhaps uncomfortable places, not just the um, unreached corners of uh, the world, uh, but also the uncomfortable neighbours in our street and the awkward colleagues at work. My, my first real interest in mission uh, grew out of uh, my love for hearing about my home church's mission partners. Um, and I remember as a small, uh, small child, these people were my heroes of faith um, that lived in far-flung places like Mexico and Papua New Guinea and Chad. Um, And I remember wondering, even back then, whether God would call me to go to one of these really hard, really difficult places to share his good news. But currently, the hardest place for mission in the world is Western Europe. Bishop Leslie Newbigin talks about um, how post-Christian people um, and those of us in Europe in particular, are born out of this rejection of Christianity. They think they've gone, grown out of that, gone beyond that. Um, and that creates a far more tough and more resistant rejection of Christianity than uh, pre-Christian cultures who've never heard the good news and more often welcome it with open arms. He says, here without possibility of question is the most challenging missionary frontier of our time. Whatever and wherever God calls us to in the future, right now, the thing that we all have in common is that for those of us that know Jesus, God has called us 
to the toughest mission field in the world where we live today. So, how should we go about it? It brings us on to the second hallmark. Hallmark number two, it's transforming news. Jesus taught in the synagogues, it says, and preached everywhere he went. But it was categorically different from the rabbi's teaching of the law with its rules and regulations. Um, and radically different from the prophet's messages and um, preaching of repentance, which was all very good at inducing guilt, but didn't really leave you anywhere to go because it was powerless. This was good news. Jesus was telling them about really good news. It was good because Jesus brought hope. It was good because Jesus lived out the new kingdom he was talking about with love and compassion. And it was good because it came with a transforming power to change lives. The previous couple of chapters in Matthew are full of stories of people who've had their lives transformed by encountering this good news personified. This hallmark of mission is about introducing people to the person who can change their lives. The gospel isn't an abstract knowledge uh, for people to consider. It's incredibly good news that has the power to transform and change them. We sometimes get caught up in um, a bit of a binary trap of talking about whether um, we should tell the good news with words or show people the good news um, with our actions. And I think the third hallmark shows us the way forward in that. Hallmark number three, it brings wholeness. Jesus brings a holistic message. He teaches and he preaches, but he also brings about healing. Now, Jesus undoubtedly had quite a unique ministry in in this area. Um, But in essence, he saw people's needs and he leaned in and met those needs. Again, just in the previous chapter or so, we see him calming storms for frightened disciples. We see him healing incurable leprosy, blindness and paralysis. We see him bringing a father's daughter back to life. And as he points out at the beginning of this chapter, the greatest of all these things, the forgiveness of sins. Jesus' words and actions always seem to go hand in hand with each other. And increasingly, I think we're seeing more folk, more churches, more mission agencies kind of rediscover this need to bring words and actions together. See, just using uh, words means people never get to experience God's heart for themselves. Just using actions means that people uh, are left thinking you're quite a nice guy, but actually without the knowledge to respond to Jesus' good news. There's a good chance you may well spend the whole of your Christian life without ever uh, healing someone of leprosy um, in the power of God's spirit. But we can all be involved in bringing wholeness to people's lives in everyday acts of love and kindness and by telling them of the, our relationship with Jesus. So what should our mission be characterised by? 
I love the words in the passage where it says that um, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus sees people. One of my favorite stories in the Old Testament is the story of Hagar. And, uh, and in that story, she names G- uh, God Elroy, the God who sees and Jesus demonstrates in this in these verses how he sees people. He really understands the needs of the people. He sees them and he sees the state that they're in. The leaderless and the lost, people in desperate need. He sees them and he steps in. He's proactive. The question for us is are we moved by compassion? Do we have compassion on people? Is that characterized, is our mission characterized by compassion for people? Do we see people? Do we observe people and then just move along? Or do we see people and seek to understand and seek to step in with them in their lives? The story of the Good Samaritan is a great story that demonstrates how uh, the, the difference with the Good Samaritan, the others had seen and just walked by with the Good Samaritan had compassion and he steps in and he takes action and it costs him. And are we characterized in our mission by compassion? The word compassion in this passage is a gutsy word, quite literally. From the original Greek, it means to be moved by your inward parts, your bowels, which used to be kind of understood to be your seat of love and pity. How interesting. I'm not sure that's quite in our kind of expressions these days. But the word compassion is a gritty, gutsy, deep, getting your hands dirty kind of word. It's not an airy, fairy, nice having pity on somebody. It really moves you to action. See, the mission of God is characterized by compassion. But what does a church that's characterized by compassion for people look like? Paul, would you just tell us briefly about um, the church um, in Birmingham? This is a church in the, right in the center of the city of Birmingham, St. Martins and the Bullring. Uh, a few years ago, the um, uh, transformation of Birmingham continued uh, by the flattening of the uh, entire city centre, what was the, the old boring. And plan A um, was that they'd uh, demolished this church, St Martin's and the Ballring. Um It was old, it was black, you couldn't quite work out how to get to it. Um, uh, but it didn't work out too well. Um, preserva- preservation orders kicked in and they weren't allowed to flatten it down. So as a result, the whole of the ball ring ended up getting redesigned. Um, and you can see architecturally, it now becomes this central focus point, um, uh, which is really symbolic of what St. Martin's has, has become. It's become this heart of um, this living, breathing community um, in the center of Birmingham. We as, uh, as a staff team uh, held one of our days of prayer there. Uh, uh, a couple of years ago uh, and the rector just in his uh, introduction to us said um, uh, don't be surprised when you're in this building if uh, people come up to you and ask you for help because 
That's just our normal experience of what happens. And they built such a culture of openness and responsiveness that people from a wide spectrum of, of backgrounds used to come into the church and whoever they would see would be the people that they would ask uh, for help for. Um, uh, it was, um, yeah, if you were homeless, this was the place to come. If you were a refugee trying to navigate the system, this was where you would come. If you had financial problems, you'd come here. If you were in the middle of a family breakdown, this was the place where people would come. St. Martin's has this fast-growing reputation. Um, and people from, uh, again, all, all areas of, of life refer people to St. Martin's if they need help because um, St. Martin's has become a place where people find help and they find hope. So Jesus tells us that our world is lost and leaderless and in desperate need like sheep without a shepherd. And uh, Jesus, the great shepherd king, comes. What good news. What good news that we have, that it's not just that we can help people practically, but we can point them to Jesus, who ultimately uh, is the person that brings healing and wholeness in their lives. And so just as Jesus saw the needs of people, today is still a a day with, with unparalleled need in our world, as we know. So many millions in different ways harassed and helpless For some, that's obvious. For some, that's the obvious, more physical, material needs. For others, who may have all the money in the world, they have beautiful homes, but they still have needs. They are still lost and leaderless and have desperate needs. Uh, There may well be people with material wealth, but spiritual poverty uh, is, um, is no respecter. Of, of, of wealth or material possessions. And so whoever we are, whoever people are, they are in desperate need for the news of Jesus, the great shepherd king in their lives. So alongside great unparalleled need comes great unparalleled opportunity. With unparalleled need, there is great unparalleled Opportunity In this passage, Jesus talks about how the harvest is plentiful. And I wonder whether we believe it. Do we believe that the harvest is actually plentiful? Do we do mission to, in, in view of that being true, that the harvest is plentiful? So at the beginning, I asked a question about how does this affect you personally? When we think about mission... How might this affect you personally? How is Jesus calling you? There are only two types of people. Those who don't yet know Jesus and those who share Jesus. Uh, The leader, the person who founded the uh, Moravian missionary movement, incredible missionary movement that transformed the world, he said, every heart with Christ is a missionary Every heart without Christ is a mission field. What the Bible doesn't leave room for is for people who know Jesus but don't share him with others. The Bible doesn't really leave room for us in that. Of those two people, who are you? 
if you don't yet know Jesus, uh, let me encourage you uh, that uh, Jesus loves you and he wants you to know him. And uh, today he's inviting you to consider giving your life to him uh, and he will transform your life in ways that you might even can't imagine. And Paul and I would love to speak with you afterwards if you'd like to know more about what it means to know Jesus. And if you know Jesus, you are a missionary. You are a missionary. The question is, is he calling you to go local or global? God is calling you, but is he calling you to go global or local? He's not calling you to neither. There are still people groups around the world that are least reached. There is missionary activity in those places, but they're still vastly unreached. There are also people around the world that are not just least reached, they are unengaged. There is no tangible uh, missionary outreach work going on in those places. It's amazing to think there are still unengaged peoples around the world. And so we have to seriously consider whether God is calling us to go to those places. But whether God calls you to go to those places, where you are now, he's also calling you to be a missionary. One of the most rewarding experiences um, in my life is sharing Jesus with somebody who's never heard of Jesus before. I don't know if you've had that experience, who's never even heard of the name of Jesus. And to share the good news of Jesus with them is an absolute, um, one of the greatest joys. So we have to consider seriously where God is calling us today, to go global or to go local. As people with good news, we have our neighbors and our friends and our families and our work colleagues and so on. In response to Jesus' call to go, let's look for opportunities to make Jesus known today. So how do we move forward in that? If we're a follower of Jesus, there are three things that we can do. Earlier, we mentioned that we can pray. Why should we pray? Why not just go? We pray because Jesus tells us to ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into the harvest field. We pray because it is God who sends people. It is him who shows us where to go and what to do. We don't need to make this up. God will give direction. But also, when we pray, we become more attuned to the heart of God. He had compassion. We too need compassion. Jesus had a sense of urgency. We need a sense of urgency. The harvest needs more workers. We are those workers. As we pray, also we believe it is true that God is at work saving the lost today. God is at work helping people to uh, respond to the gospel today. And as we pray, we see more opportunities. We're more sensitive to God's leading in our everyday encounters with people and the people around us. So we're called to pray. We're also called to give. In order for the workers to be sent, it is important that they are sent well equipped. And we can give in many different ways. 
all the things that God has entrusted to us, we can give for the Great Commission to make Jesus known. Our time, our money, our skills, our expertise, ongoing commitment to pray, whatever is needed for the harvest for making Jesus known. We are all called to steward all that God has entrusted to us for his kingdom. What do we have to give? What do you have to give? And finally, we're called to go. We are all, all of us here, the workers in one way or another. Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. For some of us, we are sent as full-time missionaries to different countries and to different fields of mission here in the UK. However, we are all in a part of the mission field with the people that we're in contact with in our work, in our neighborhoods, in our families. When it comes to carrying out the command to go, we can be a bit like Moses sometimes. We may resist the call of God to go for any number of reasons, but often it comes down to the fact that we're afraid. When God appeared to Moses out of the fiery bush and said, I am sending you, Moses replied, who me? What if they have questions I can't answer? What if they don't believe me? Particularly in this continent, in this country, as Paul mentioned earlier, we live in a huge mission field. It's a hard and it's hard work. But it's a mission field that Jesus tells us where the harvest is plentiful. And we are seeing people choosing to follow Jesus. Neither the need nor the mandate of Jesus has changed when it comes to Europe and the UK. So God is either calling you to follow him if you've never made that decision yet, or he's calling you as a missionary to go global or to go local, to the least reached of our world. Will God send you to the least reached in the world or to the hardest reached in Hove and Brighton? Tomorrow as you turn up at the school gate, tomorrow as you go to the shop to buy your loaf of bread, tomorrow as you sit down at your desk opposite your colleague, tomorrow as you ring your family member, tomorrow as you speak to the person over the fence as you park your car. What opportunities is God giving you to make Jesus known, to have compassion and to make Jesus known to that person? To lean in, just as Jesus leaned in, to lean in with those people that God has put in your life. Whether you say it or not, the thought in your head needs to be, have I got good news for you? Over lunch, Paul Knight will have the opportunity to share a little bit more, I think, and um, we'd love to tell you a little bit more about uh, what what Agape is involved with, um, and we'd love to hear a little bit more about um, uh, your lives and what's going on with your lives. Uh, but it's an absolute pleasure to be here and to be with you in mission. I want to thank you especially for your support of Martin and Fran. Uh, I know how much um, your support as a church of them uh, makes a huge difference to them and thank you so much
And so Paul and I will be around after church. We'll also be around this evening. We're going to dig in a little bit further into some of the things we started talking about this morning. So please, please, if you, even if you don't normally come to Sunday evenings, please do come this evening. It'll be wonderful to see you and to share a little bit more with you about what it means for us to be sent as mission folk. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you have called us into your mission field. Thank you that you are sending us to engage with people to make you known. Thank you that we ourselves have heard the good news and know you today, that our lives are transformed by the gospel. And Lord, may we all forever be thankful and live our lives in in the light of our thankfulness for the cross today. And I pray for us as we seek you for the opportunities that you want to give us to make you known. Lord, make us sensitive to your spirit's leading. And may we see many choose to follow you as we share the good news with them. Amen.